The image of the offertory psalm from last Sunday has stayed with me all this week. That image of the Babylonian captivity of the Israelites, Israelites being exiled, taken away from their land that God had given them. And then being asked by their captors, sing for us one of those happy songs that you used to sing in Jerusalem. Sing one of those for us. And they said, how? How could we sing when we're separated from the source of all joy, true gladness. Deliver us, Lord, they prayed. Long before Jesus' captivity, exile, became understood as a symbol for a more profound exile from God, for being captive to sin, evil, death. And so prayer for deliverance, to be free of our captivity, was a prayer to be free of all that separates us from God, to be reunited with him, to be one with him, to be delivered from death. It became a prayer for resurrection. The psalm was paired at that point in the mass in which your gifts, born from your sacrifices, were processed forward. Water and wine, hosts and offerings coming forward, they are representative of you. In a sense, an extension of you, almost you yourself being brought out of captivity, out of exile to the special meeting place between God and man in which our exile captivity is overcome and you're united, transformed. The climax of which is Holy Communion. I just found that so very compelling. Union rests on sacrifice. This is evidently, obviously clear with Christ. There is no reconciliation with God outside of his sacrifice. There is no union, overcoming of our exile without him. There obviously is no Eucharist. There is no communion without his sacrifice. Union rests on sacrifice. You who are married know this in a special way. For marriage too rests on sacrifice. Men, your wives had to say no to many opportunities and countless men to say a yes to you, out of which a new union was born. It goes both ways indeed. But you know this through your own lived experience. You had to sacrifice in order for a union to be effected. Sacrifice is not had, though, without suffering. I'll never forget a former parishioner who, after a presentation I gave on discipleship, in which I spoke in part about the structure of the gospel being dependent, its flourishing being dependent on our own sacrificing in terms of tithing. She came up afterwards, not grandstanding, not boasting, and she said, Father, we believe this. She said, we could live in a nicer house if we didn't tithe. Now, obviously there's a unity there with Christ's mission, but think about what's happening between husband and wife as they become one flesh, one willing agent of this. 
You do not live on bread alone. You do not live on bread alone. We do not live on bread alone, they're saying to one another. Through that sacrifice resting in a form of suffering, something new, something deeper developed. Suffering seems to be something like the door through which something new and valuable can be obtained. I thought of this yesterday at the funeral I had for a friend of mine in Emporia. He died 65 years old of cancer. The family had selected a reading from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians from Paul has this heavy, dark feeling to it, compared especially with 1 Corinthians. Something traumatic has happened in Paul's life, something painful. He doesn't describe exactly what it is, but he said, it's as though we received a death sentence. As though he heard on the inside, you may as well give up. And then he wrote this. He said, that happened to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from so deadly a peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. It's as though Paul was saying, I understood intellectually before that God had raised Jesus from the dead and will raise us too, but now experientially, I have, I have seen that this is true in my own life. I've already participated in a sense in death and resurrection. And I encourage you and your experiences of suffering not to lose hope. That, it seems to me, is what Paul is suggesting in our letter to the Hebrews today. Of our leader to salvation being brought to perfection through suffering. Something new had opened up through Christ's willing acceptance of the suffering as somehow being providential. Somehow bringing something new and valuable into his life, into our lives. Marriage, too, is not without suffering, for there is sacrifice involved. I do believe that's what, in part, Jesus was referring to by speaking of hardness of heart. Marriage has something to do with overcoming our own hardness of heart. Being inclined to take an early exit, he's saying, some will be, but that's not how it was from the beginning. He refers us back to Adam having this experience of being alone and having all these animals brought in front of him so he can see I am different from everything else in the world. Until Eve was created and he discovers something of who he is, which suggests something about marriage. It involves some sort of self-discovery of overcoming the isolation of the I. Well, Jesus says, involves losing yourself so that you might find yourself. Yesterday was the first mass I participated in in a church since I've been assigned here. <laughs> I was like, I actually remember what this is like. And I'm not worried about people in the bleachers beginning to do some sort of chant right, or wave. <laughs> you have sacrificed and suffered 
for many years here. So that it would seem, Paul is saying, you might not rely on yourself, but on the one who raises the dead. And if you are involved in any way, you are seeing it in our midst as the community reconvenes, comes to life, and moves into a place where you can hear and more easily pray. Jesus is saying, never doubt in the midst of any of your sufferings that God has abandoned you, for he is right there doing something new.